0: It's
1: the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, with your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening,
0: John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. In this episode, I'm going to visit with Katerina Rivera, also known as the Blindish Latina. I bumped into her on social media, I think probably Instagram, where she is just crushing it with some posts about disability advocacy, where she talks about white canes and the visual impairment spectrum, and where she also is known as a stigma smasher. So I'm real interested to know more about what that means and and what she does for that. I'm also real interested to talk to her because she uses a term blindish to describe her vision, and it seemed very similar to how I classify myself as ambiguously blind. So. want to visit with her about the similarities that we have there, as well as a condition called Usher syndrome, which she has, which couples visual impairment along with hearing impairment, which I'm sure makes for some unique challenges in life. But those don't seem to be slowing her down at all. So, Katerina, thanks a bunch for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, John.
0: I'm very excited to visit with you because... For, for lots of reasons, really, but one of the notable things that I've uh, I've seen about you is you, you are a disability stigma smasher, and I certainly appreciate that. How did you become a disability stigma smasher?
1: <laughs> I came up with the term stigma smasher just for a lot of reasons. I really wanted to emphasize that we need to address the stigmas that are out there about disability because a lot of times that's what's holding us back and creating obstacles for disabled people. More about the stigma and the lack of access or prioritization. So I wanted to call that out. And I also made it fun by talking about smashing it. Yeah. I think, I think it's you just did. fun.
0: I think that's fun too. Yeah. I think I think that's great. So uh, do you you have a disability, right?
1: Yes, I do. I was born with it.
0: Okay, and you also call yourself the blindish Latina. So let's talk a little bit about the blindish part of that. What is your visual acuity?
1: So I have Usher syndrome, and that includes both hearing loss and progressive vision loss due to retinitis pigmentosa. So because of that, right now, my vision is really narrow. I have a narrow visual field. And I estimate that it's about three to 5% of what a full visual field would be. And the vision that I do have is really my central vision. But again, within a narrow range, I don't have any peripheral vision. I do not have, um, well, what I will say, my vision is better during the day than it is at night. So the light really impacts my ability to navigate and see well. I also have issues with depth perception. One example of this is when I'm going down a set of stairs. If they're, if they all kind of blend into me, if they're the same color and there's no distinguishing marks, it can be challenging to tell one apart from the other. I also have some blind spots within my field. So I could be looking at a table and if something is really small, like a hearing aid battery, I have to circle around until it comes into my vision and it will feel because my brain will like paint over if it's in my blind spot and it'll look like there's nothing there. So those are just some of the things that relate to my vision. Color difficulties also occur with just knowing what's black, knowing what's brown.
0: Okay, so several things there. You said that your visual acuity or your visual field or range is about three to five percent. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay, so that's a pretty small amount. Has that gone down from a larger number over time, or has that pretty much been the way it has been for you?
1: Retinitis pigmentosa is progressive. So the vision that I started with, that I know that I had when I was a teenager, is very different than what I have now. So I was 17 when I was diagnosed. And at that time I was still driving and I was still able to drive. I stopped driving before I had to. I moved to New York right after college and I gave up driving so that I could make the transition easier for me. So that's an example, but I definitely noticed changes over the years. And some of these changes were really apparent to me in terms of navigating at night and going out places at night that was an area where i noticed a big change in my vision i also feel that my vision narrowed as well like the visual field came in to a tighter tunnel vision over the years Um, but the vision that i do have is very usable i wear glasses it's correctable i don't have to do a ton of zooming and in terms of devices, what I use is the white cane. That's the thing that I use the most. I don't use a ton of tech other than dark mode and, you know, high color contrast when I can, but I don't have like a software application that I'm using.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm a fan of dark mode and it sounds I think you're also lost in the Apple Orchard kind of uh, like I'm about to be. You're you're mostly an Apple technology user, iPhone, Macs, and what have you. Is that, is that right too? Yes. Yeah, they seem to do uh, pretty well for for us in the, the vision loss field. What about the hearing portion of that? Does, does the Apple ecosystem lend itself to hearing loss as well?
1: Well, I guess it depends. One thing that it does do very well is that a number of hearing aid companies make Bluetooth Connections to Apple devices available in their hearing aid models. I don't know if this is available at all the levels because there are four tiers of hearing aids and there are price differences associated with their, those tiers. I got my hearing aids, a current model that I have, because they were made for iPhone. That's the phrase that is used. So it connects directly to my iPhone through Bluetooth, and the quality of the audio is unmatched. It's so much better. It really gives me clarity and just a lot more confidence. Before I had these hearing aids, I did not like phone calls. I was having more difficulty with phone calls, and I didn't want to do them. But now the audio is streamed right to my ears, and it's really effective. My... Hearing loss started when I was a toddler. It very young when my parents first noticed it, but I was born with it. And this is typical for Usher syndrome type two. I was fitted with hearing aids when I was three or four years old. And my hearing has declined a little bit since that time. There has been some changes, but it's not expected for me to lose my hearing. There just have been some changes and I've adapted very well. So it's, it's characterized as moderate to severe. And I will say that when I do get my hearing tested, I do pretty well with voice, like word recognition. They test you on that. And I do better with lower frequency sounds. So someone with a voice like yours is a great voice for me, makes things really easy to interpret and understand.
0: Is that just because of the verbosity of my voice or the language I speak or the fact that I'm such a great linguist?
1: Well, it was it's the tone. It's the tone of your voice. It's the deeper sounds that you're making.
0: Okay. Well that's good. All right. Well, I'm glad I could help out here. So Usher syndrome, is that are there a lot of folks that have Usher's syndrome? Do you know others like that?
1: Yes. There are in fact a lot of people that do have Usher syndrome and I believe it's the number one cause of deaf blindness worldwide. I have some statistics that I can pull up for you about Usher. But um, there are three different types of Usher and they all have different progressions for the curing and the vision part. So all of them include wetinitis pigmentosa. So everybody has vision loss that happens over time. For Usher Type 3, I believe, is the type that hearing and vision are impacted. For Usher Type 1, is very similar to what I have, but people experience balance issues in addition to their progressive vision loss and then being hard of hearing. And then my type, Usher Type 2, is that you're hard of hearing, And you have um, the retinitis pigmentosa. But the vision issues don't really present themselves until you're a teenager. So, yes, I have here the data. Usher syndrome is the most common genetic cause of combined deafness and blindness. More than 400,000 people. Yes, 400,000 people are estimated to have Usher syndrome worldwide.
0: Yeah, that's a big group.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. Um, So I have met a lot of people who have Usher syndrome and even people who have just the retinitis pigmentosa part, we have similarities as well to share.
0: Is somebody with RP or retinitis pigmentosa, are they subject? I mean, is, is Usher syndrome just the next thing or is it can you can somebody just live with with RP without getting any hearing loss or how does that work?
1: Yes, it can be completely separate. Someone can have RP and just have RP. And I know people that just have RP. Usher syndrome is a genetic disease that is recessive. So you have to inherit it both from each parent, uh, the gene. And so you. that's a se- separate thing.
0: And as it pertains to the Usher's syndrome, you said you uh, the the vision, was the vision more obvious sooner than the hearing portion of that? Or how did that work? Were they both about the same?
1: The hearing loss was present from the time that I was born. And so that's why I was fitted with hearing aids when I was three or four years old. The vision loss was not apparent until I was a teenager.
0: Okay. So we, they knew about your family knew about your hearing loss before the vision loss. And at that time, the, the, There wasn't a, you didn't necessarily know that this was an Usher syndrome type situation. You just kind of knew you had some, some hearing loss, basically. Is that right?
1: Yes. They had no idea as to the cause of my hearing loss. And that wasn't explained until my diagnosis with Usher syndrome many years later.
0: Okay. So how does a family work with, do you have siblings? I do. I have a younger brother. Okay. And has your brother been affected by either of these or any of this type of scenario?
1: Yes. He also has Usher syndrome.
0: Okay. So there's some genetics and things involved in this. Is that right?
1: Yes. I did explain earlier that is a genetic recessive condition.
0: I'm not a very good listener. I don't know. The intro to my podcast tells you that. It's, uh, I hear a lot, but I'm, I'm just I'm terrible at listening. What was life like as a, as a youngster with hearing loss? Did your, how did your family help you adapt to that environment? My
1: mom was my biggest advocate. I know that she did a lot of Work to make sure that I got access to services to everything that we both needed because my brother had it as well. So we did a lot of speech therapy. She would come to all the IEP meetings, you know. And I know that she really worked hard to do the best that she could with what she could do at the time. I think one thing of being a product of the 80s or a child of the 80s. At that time, oralism was very dominant. Everybody steered deaf and hard of hearing children to the speaking world. There wasn't anybody that talked to my family or to me about learning ASL, American Sign Language. Nobody brought it up. And I really didn't have an understanding that I could do both. That just wasn't an option that was even talked about. So as an adult, I've been grateful to learn some ASL. I took a beginner's class recently, and I've just been exploring what does it mean to be hard of hearing and looking at deafness in a new way because I just didn't have that exposure growing up. And yeah, I just know my parents did the best they could. It's not anything negative towards them or my family or my teachers. I, this was the dominant philosophy at the time.
0: So what is it like learning sign language as an adult? Is it, is it come pretty natural or is it is it a relief to you that you know another way to communicate now or how did that come about?
1: Well, I've just taken the beginner level, so I'm not quite there yet, but it was really fun. I like learning new things and it felt very affirming to learn, like I was learning something about myself, my identity. And I studied with a great teacher. So I appreciated everything that um, the teacher did to create a safe environment for us. Um, So yeah, I thought it was, it was really exciting. And it helped me to kind of connect to parts of my identity that I hadn't really related to before. The idea of taking off my hearing aids and not needing them was so new to me.
0: That's got to be like a freeing feeling, right?
1: Yeah, I definitely felt liberated in in a way and just enjoyed that time. It's like, take them off, okay.
0: (laughs) So I wanted to get a little bit into the blindish thing that you you are quite a, uh, become quite a superstar in the social media world and especially on Instagram. You call yourself the blindish um latina and i call myself ambiguously blind i feel like there's a lot of things in common between blindish and ambiguously blind so tell me what you mean when you call yourself blindish
1: i'll tell you john if i would much rather call myself blind it's i it describes what i am but it doesn't satisfy the non-disabled community it doesn't make sense to the outside world that if I have some small amount of vision that I could call myself blind. So I've used this term blindish to push on people's perceptions of what blindness looks like. Because there's a lot of stigma and misunderstanding that creates negative interpretations Of blind people, especially this idea that blind people are faking their blindness if they don't move in a way that you understand, if they don't walk or navigate the world or act in a way that people think is stereotypical for blindness.
0: Yeah, I can agree with that because I—that's where I'm getting to ambiguously. I feel like I need to use the word blind in in my description, but I think kind of like what you just said. I think um something that we've we've discussed in in some email exchanges is what does a blind person look like and you know i think that's pretty easy for most people to to define what a blind person looks like right so a blind person looks like somebody that has a service dog um or maybe a cane and wears dark glasses and kind of moves maybe slowly or differently than everybody else? Is that kind of what you think, what people think?
1: Everything that you said, I agree with. Especially one thing that you were talking about, moving slowly. I did a post where I talked about how sometimes I move really quickly with my cane. I'm late. I need to get somewhere quickly. And I think people are surprised to see somebody that, appears to be blind moving in a confident manner. Mm -hmm. Like, why, why, how could we be confident? And they just don't get it. And so that's who I'm trying to talk to on my social media with Latina, talking to the non-disabled community and expanding their awareness of disability in general. And of course, one of the ideas that I want everyone to know is that blindness is a spectrum. So, I think that brings me back to the word blind and even the word deaf. People use the non-disabled community uses the words blind and deaf and they expect them to be total. You have to be totally blind, totally deaf. And both of these things are actually spectrums and we can use them to describe ourselves even if we have some vision or some hearing. But the non-disabled community doesn't get that and they I hope we'll get more awareness and I'll do whatever impact or ever I'll do whatever I can do to influence that and make that happen.
0: Yeah. And you're certainly doing that, especially in your uh, Instagram posts and things. So I'm certainly following those and I I appreciate what you're doing. And it's a discussion that we've had a few times here on the podcast that blindness is a spectrum because I, I agree. Most people assume that blindness just means you, you can see nothing and that, it just isn't the case. I mean, that's, that's part of it. Um, but it's not the whole thing. And when I say ambiguous generally, uh, you know, it's like, I feel like I could, I could interact with somebody, um, or even, even somebody that I I may know slightly that, that may not know that I have a visual impairment because our interactions just haven't made the, made it obvious to them that, well, John, generally can't see this you know they haven't handed me a piece of paper with some text on it and said hey what is tell me what this says or something and i'm like i, I can't do that um like i ride a bicycle by myself uh, i don't drive a vehicle but i i get around i don't i personally don't use a cane you're you're quite a cane advocate um your your visual acuity is is different than mine and and actually even if they're the same acuity that's a clinical definition and in the real world the equal clinical definitions can also mean different reality or real-world use of vision. So, lots of there, there's so many variations that can occur that I don't know if anybody is exactly the same or if there are that it's very few. So, it's almost like the exception is um, is the rule that there's really not a rule unless you have zero vision, and then I think that's kind of what people expect.
1: Yes. I completely agree. And I think there's just, I I don't think that people necessarily need to understand clinical blindness or like all the things about blindness, but at a very basic level, there needs to be a respect for disabled people and the language that we use. I really find it Irritating or upsetting, or just angering when someone who's non disabled tries to correct me on the language that I'm using and they don't know anything about my life or my condition. So I think there's a lot of, um, I don't know, I just, I guess, I want to call it like respect that it needs to happen.
0: Yeah. And I generally feel like, I don't think people um, mean necessarily disrespect. I think it's mostly just a lack of information or lack of knowledge of kind of what things are, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing the podcast. And I think one of the reasons, maybe one of the main reasons that you're doing what you're doing with the the speaking engagements and the communications and the social media stuff that you're doing is just basically, I think education is key for, for most people because even though there are 400,000 people with Usher syndrome, or however many millions of people have disabilities or visual impairments and other things, uh, we're we're still mostly in the minority, and we we certainly do need the the respect of others as well. But I generally don't feel like somebody's trying to be disrespectful. I mean, it certainly can happen, but I think just with education, the more awareness and advocacy and things that that we can do in podcasts and social media and speaking and things. I just think people will be more aware of what's going on. And and I think the respect level will just naturally, naturally come with that. Do you think that's the case?
1: I think in general, yes, that's the case. People need awareness and education and more understanding of disability in general. There are some people, and I'm probably thinking just of that group of people that have been commenting on my content and, and validating what I have shared. And so that has been frustrating, but it's not the general response that I'm getting. It's kind of a vocal, but small group.
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, there's one of those people in every group or there's, that's those, that's those people. And, and they're this naysayers. And that's uh, one of the things that that makes them, their little world spin around is, is, poo-pooing on other people's stuff and you know i just i don't know i i I don't want to even give those guys the uh the light of day because that's that's all they do is try to stir things up and and mess things up but i i I think they're still the minority although they are vocal you are correct they they do try to be loud but generally speaking i think people want to learn and understand and respect um just about anything people are doing and especially if it's different than what they're doing so they can can interact with people in a respective way i think that's one of the things that makes this world great one of the things that makes um you know our, our country great and uh i just i think it's just more awareness and things that need to be pressed and i think stuff like what you're doing is is helping bridge the gap there too thank you so let's talk a little bit more about what you are doing you have done some speaking and as the blindish latina who you've been talking to recently
1: I've been speaking with companies and organizations offering workshops and trainings on disability awareness, inclusion, and accessibility. Some of my recent clients have included LinkedIn, the company LinkedIn. I've spoken with a design firm called Moya Design, a software company in New York called Suzy. I spoke at an event for the, I believe it's called the Andrew Haskell Talking Library for the New York Public Library. Different conferences as well. I spoke at a conference at Partnership for After School Education today, bringing in the topic of anti ableism and why it's so important to focus on disability within diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. So I'm out there doing these engagements, offering workshops, offering as well clear, tangible best practices for people to implement to change their workplaces, to change their organizations. Because I think it's very important to offer both awareness and understanding as well as tangible steps that people can implement so that we can see improvements, that we can see better environments. So talking about accessibility really does that. Giving people small things that are really important another small thing that I always talk about is how to avoid microaggressions, especially in language and what people say, how they talk about disability, how they respond to disability disclosures, and the words that they use in general that may be offensive and they don't even know about it. So that's some of the information that I share on a regular basis, I really focus a lot on the workplace and organizations because I think it's a great way to reach people and make change. And there's not as many people focusing on the workplace
0: environment. And generally, do you think that message is received well? Uh, Are people inquisitive and really wanting to know those details? Or is it something that you're, you're not sure your message is really sinking in?
1: So far, I've gotten a great reception. I've been really grateful. The groups and the participants have been very engaged. I've gotten a lot of feedback from people where they realized that they learned a lot of new information. Some companies and organizations have realized that they have not focused on disability and accessibility, and now they want to. So I have seen that change. One client of mine, in preparation for bringing me in, figured out how to add closed captioning to their Zoom account. And then right before my workshop, they announced to all the staff and it was the whole company that was in attendance. They said, moving forward, we're going to have closed captions available on all of our meetings. And that's a real big win.
0: Yeah, that is a big win. Making a, making a difference. That's a pretty good, that is a big win. It's going to make you feel great.
1: It does. It does make me feel great. I know this is going to impact people and help them because accessibility helps everyone. So I'm thrilled about that. And that's one of the reasons that I'm just really glad I'm, a, I'm aligned with my values. So I'm not going to speak at anything that doesn't have closed captions because that's not in line with my values. So if someone doesn't have that set up and they want me to speak, then they work on it. They learn, they set it up, and then that's a small but important and very impactful legacy it that sure lives is. on.
0: It sure is, and then they they can, you know, speak with other people that uh, may also want closed captioning that they hadn't really even considered before, you know?
1: Yes, and a lot of times what's blocking them is, one, they never thought about it, two, sometimes there's there are difficulties technologically just with how do I set that up? How do I do that? You have to talk to customer service or work out, troubleshoot issues. But once you've done it, it's done.
0: Yeah, and it's easy. You just click the button and you move forward, and everybody can see what we're doing now. Yes. Okay. Something else I wanted to be sure to talk to you about was uh, on on lots of your Instagram posts you you're you're often with your white cane, which is normal for you to be using that anyway but you've you've done a lot of things talking about the white cane, the stigma around the white cane, why you use a white cane if you can see some things and just i don't know talk to me about your the white cane and and why you use it and and what other stigmas you can smash about uh, what the white cane does and doesn't do
1: I love using a white cane did I always love using a white cane nope did I want to use it nope. It took a lot of time for me to open up to the idea. And everybody's different. If you're a person who is blind or visually impaired and you're listening and you think you don't need it and you legitimately don't need it, then okay. Like, it's not everyone that needs a white cane. However, I'll just speak about my experience with using it. I have loved it. It's made me so much more relaxed as a woman and it makes me feel more confident to go out alone because I'm very conscious of appearing to be vulnerable. And I don't want to, I want to look confident and able to get around. I also know that it takes so much mental energy sometimes for me to navigate if I don't have it, especially if I'm in a new area or the sidewalks are uneven and broken, or there's unexpected obstacles, the cane allows me to have help in terms of seeing below my line of vision. And then when I look ahead, I can see what's coming up. And my even though I have a very narrow visual field, when I look ahead, if I'm the magic of perspective, it appears wider if I'm looking at something further away. So we can work together. My The vision that I do have in my cane, I also use it as an indicator. People are much nicer if you bump into them and you have the white cane out than if you bump into them and you don't. They have a different assumption of the reason why mm-hmm. you bumped into them.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So I've just found it to be helpful in many, many scenarios, and I don't use it all the time. I use it when I need it as a tool. In my toolbox, I found it to be very helpful. Some common situations which in which I will use it is if I'm going to a crowded area at night, even with my partner, because other people will stay away. They'll move away and give us a wider berth. So it's less work for my partner in terms of giving me information, notifying me about steps. I want him to relax too if we're out trying to have a good time. So the cane just helps make that a little bit easier. Traveling, when traveling, I use it. When going out alone in new places, even in the daytime, if it's a new place, I will feel more confident using the cane. Because remember, I also have, I'm hard of hearing as well. So people might be trying to speak to me. And because I'm doing so much energy on my vision and my hearing, it's if I don't have the cane, I think it can be overwhelming sometimes. So anyway, is there's so many benefits for me, what I realized when I first started using it is that everyone was looking at me. And it was so strange. It made me feel very, I don't know.
0: Yeah, just very self-conscious or...
1: Not cautious. I was just, I've never had that many people look at me, especially in New York. You're used to being anonymous or getting some looks. But when I first started using the cane, I felt self-conscious. That would be the way to describe it. I felt self-conscious because everybody was looking at me that's how I felt maybe they weren't all looking at me but I just felt like Mm -hmm. oh my gosh I'm not anonymous anymore everyone is staring at me and I have to and this is when I felt conflicted about the duality between what the world thinks a blind person looks like and what I know (laughs) that a, a white cane user can look like and can do so basically An illustration of this is I'd get to the corner of the street. I'm getting ready to cross. And when I was training with my cane, I would, as soon as the light said cross, I would look straight ahead and cross. My trainer stopped me and he said, well, why didn't you look to the left and right? You have to look to see if there are cars coming. You have to use the vision that you do have because you're not going to be safe if you don't. Um, just use everything you have, but I didn't want to look left and right because I felt thats that wasn't gonna match what people expected mm-hmm. me to do mm-hmm. if I'm looking around seeing stuff, and I have the cane out, but I had to get over that because I do need to look around I do need to use my vision. I do need to pull out my cell phone and check my text or look for directions. so once I worked on that and got over it and decided that, okay, I'm confident now. It's been so empowering.
0: And do you feel like with that confidence, uh, there might still be the same number of people looking at you or maybe not looking at you and you just don't even concern yourself with that anymore? Or do you you think that was kind of a subconscious thing or is that the reality of, of what it's like traveling around in New York with a white cane?
1: They don't matter. It doesn't matter if they're looking at me or not, because I'm out there to live my life, not conform to their perceptions, their stigmas, or their expectations. I don't have time for that. I don't have energy for that. So, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you've had a few viral uh, Instagram posts about the white cane. I think at least the one about um, where you. It, I don't know if it was one of the viral ones. You've had a few, but the one about not touching somebody else's white cane, Do you let people touch your white cane?
1: People try to touch the white cane in different situations. And I know that other people can relate to this because there's two different... I think it really comes from trying to help someone and not knowing anything about how to help. So the, I've seen people share stories of if they're a wheelchair user, someone push their wheelchair and that was not appropriate that's not what they needed that was done without their consent and it's dangerous to do that so I had a situation where I was getting into a van I was traveling and the person that was working in the van tried to grab my cane and take it from me as I was getting in the van and what I think the logic there was they thought that they could hold it for me so that I could get in and then give it back. But they don't understand that the cane is an extension of my body. I'm using it to see. I am actually using that to get into the van, to feel on the floor, to see how high the step is. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that was a light bulb moment for me that people really don't get it. So that's one of the reasons I made that particular reel And I have had some other videos that went viral on my reels, they all talked about blindness. It really shows the lack of awareness that's out there. One talked about blindness being a spectrum. That one, a lot of reactions, a lot of learning, and also a lot of questions, so many questions. So I think that if I continue to, or when I continue to grow and reach more people, my impact will grow. I'm really looking forward to (laughs) raising awareness and people sticking with me on this learning journey so that we can talk about all things related to disability and convert all of that into disability allies.
0: Well, okay, Katerina, it's been a lot of fun visiting with you. And I want to encourage you and, and help you move forward with your quest to... Stigma Smasher, I want you to just uh, I, I Godspeed for you on your journey to the stigma smashing. I think you've got all the tools and and abilities that you need to to do that, and I want to help um, help you make the uh, that make that stuff aware. So, where's the best places for people to find you and get in contact with you to to learn more about you and what you do?
1: Thank you, John. It's been wonderful to talk to you and get your perspective. I really appreciate this conversation. People can connect with me on my website, KatarinaRivera.com, on Instagram and Clubhouse at BlindishLatina. And I'm on LinkedIn as well.
0: Okay, and the uh, Ambiguously Blind podcast is connected on those platforms as well. So you can find her through through our social media uh, or go directly to those uh, platforms as well. Katarina, best wishes. It's been a lot of fun. And I hope we can get together again and have another conversation.
1: Thank you. That sounds great. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe. And for a complete transcript of this episode, connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.